Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. listeners and welcome to Left Foot. Today our guest is Brian Miske, the Chief Marketing Officer of KPMG MSLP. His responsibilities include marketing and communications in Canada, as well as marketing activities across the Americas. KPMG is an audit, tax, and advisory firm that works closely with their clients. Brian is an innovative leader and an accomplished marketing and sales executive. Prior to joining KPMG 10 years ago, he held roles at Accenture and the Viacom MTV Network. Brian speaks frequently about the voice of the customer to a variety of audiences, including the professional services and legal community. Brian, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into who you are personally? Yes, I can. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, I do work for KPMG, the Chief Marketing Officer for Canada and for activities across the Americas. What's interesting is that my background is quite an anomaly, where I come out of more of the creative space, working for the toy industry and and Marvel Entertainment, and then into Viacom MTV, going right into professional services. So it becomes a, a little bit of a quagmire when you start to look at who I really am, but it's really a combination of creativity, curiosity, and strategy really driving a lot of what I do on a daily basis. So it actually makes sense when you come to know the the diversity that's going on within the market today. I'm sure a very appreciated perspective in an organization like KPMG and professional services in general. Is there a, a story or a, an experience where you've been able to transfer some of that more creative experience to KPMG or to Accenture? It's interesting. In consulting, it's really about education and working with your clients, customers, and other third parties involved in business opportunity or challenge. And creativity is probably the number one capability capability that I have used on a consistent basis. And it's really about getting a wide array of different types of ideas and starting to narrow it down to something that's commercially viable, as well as from risk perspectives and trying to understand what will have an impact. Now, a lot of people like to come to a quick solution because we are all harried for time. But throughout my career and from my consulting career and now in marketing, it's really about finding multiple solutions. or what I would call three different futures. So it gets into scenario planning, and it's just a pretty word to encapsulate uh, the concept of scenario planning. So that's interesting. I'm thinking storyboard and, you know, obviously in business, we call it green light thinking, right? Really asking people to present ideas, spend the time to come up with the idea versus coming up with the idea quickly and then, you know, working to make it effective. Is that, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and especially with the diverse array of uh, experience of the professionals at KPMG, you know, that creativity is really an accelerator for something that could be fantastic. And, you know, what I find most rewarding is working with a collective group of individuals that want to contribute in different ways and aren't intimidated by not being creative or, or saying that I'm not creative because I don't do this. Everyone brings their own special talents to the table, and it really requires a leader, not necessarily a C-level executive, to really help orchestrate that and really play the conductor to get the best out of people. And that's what creativity is all about, connecting disparate pieces of information that create something that breakthroughs convention. 
can definitely see the value in that. Let's talk about your writing and opinion and voice that you have expressed about focusing on the voice of the customer, how important it is to have a customer first mindset. Can you talk about the tactical practices around that? You know, what, what does that look like in practice? In practice, you know, let's be really clear. It's really about executing and embracing a customer first mindset. And this is not necessarily within the context of professional services. It spans every industry. And that's kind of the voice that I write with coming coming at it from the perspective of every industry because every industry has customers. The first is that, you know, it can be broken down into three different areas. The first is the definition of the customer is being redefined. The traditional customer is the person who consumes the products or services of the or- of an organization. Now it's really the customers being redefined or expanded to include employees, stakeholders, shareholders, other third parties, because it's the people who consume product services information. And especially with the war on talent, you can see how that definitely applies. And then you have to look at how, you know, all of this impacts the entire chain. How do, how do your customers impact the value chain of the organization? The second is operating in a market in near constant disruption. And there are so many things that are happening from a technological perspective, as well as generational expectations. And lastly, many organizations focus on the front end of the organization for the customer. And as I just defined it, that kind of expands to the entire organization. When you look at it from a marketing perspective, how does finance of a consumer products organization interact with their vendors, their suppliers? That has a direct impact on the brand. So that's why I say the voice of the customer is not just a linear approach to understanding the traditional definition of the customer and who's consuming the products or services. And to answer the original question, the mindset requires a combination of both strategic as well as a tactical approach to really understand the evolving needs of the customer, both inside and outside of the organization. The execution is really based on education and constant re-education to understand who the customers are and what is changing, and more importantly, what is not changing in their expectations. It sounds like exactly the way anyone would want to be treated, right? You know, let's, what is our brand? Let's all embrace that brand. And then let's make sure that we are out there living our brand in every interaction, whether it's a supplier or a customer. That said, you're working with consultants. You know, obviously KPMG has a variety of people out in the field. I'm sure they're quite focused on, you know, what is their core responsibilities. So what pushback have you received or what challenges have you faced in getting this large number and variety of of professionals to really embrace this? Well, it's not necessarily pushback. It's an understanding, right? So there's a classical definition of the customer that I just emphasized and recognizing that you know, the value chain is critical to the success of any type of enterprise. The pushback comes in from the understanding of the different data sources and asks, why should I care about the, the suppliers? Well, it has an impact on the brand ultimately. So that's where you start to get a little bit of contested uh, perspective on, you know, the importance uh, of that. But the voice of the customer is more of a barometer. I guess is the best way to characterize it from different data sources to really understand why the organization is winning or losing in the marketplace, as well as are they meeting the customer's expectations across all the definitions that I mentioned. 
let's talk about the data and how you would use data. Most organizations are not quite where they want to be with predictive analytics. But when you look at lagging indicators when it comes to data, there is both quantitative and qualitative approaches to it. Some are through interviews and kind of asking surveys that are more passive versus direct. You know, you've been exposed to that, I'm sure, with getting some qualified feedback. So you you have to start to marry up these different data sets and get creative in terms of trying to understand the narrative or the story behind the data, right? Because, and we've all heard this throughout our careers, the numbers only tell you one version of the, of the truth when it comes to trying to understand customer behavior. When you start to look at the, the lagging indicators, what we typically try to do is understand the expectations because the brand, and I'll say for KPMG, is meeting the expectations because the opinions that matter is not whether we inside the organization are, are trying to be right about different types of strategic decisions. It's more in terms of, you know, are our clients getting the, the value and what we've proposed throughout different types of services? The same applies for a retailer, for, for a wholesaler, for a manufacturer or a service provider. You have to look at all the different types of data, whether sales volume, velocity, the elements of big data or fast data, and start to get comfortable with that to make informed decisions on where your priorities are to service your customers more effectively. And that also applies to the definitions that I was talking about with customers. So your employees, we have three to four different generations in the marketplace, three or four generations inside the organization. They all consume information and they all learn very differently. So it gets complex pretty quickly. So that's why data is a fact base. You have some qualitative that helps fuel and validate specific directions. That's where I come in and talk about the importance of data uh, and data analytics. Fantastic topic. There's a lot of data out there. The data is getting better. Our ability to track how people are responding through technology is getting stronger. I was at a conference yesterday and the word creepy came up. You know, I look at App Nexus and some of the work that they're doing and saying it's not creepy, it's fantastic. Some of the most interesting technology out there that they know what you're doing and are able to capitalize on that. The question is, we have all this great data. How are we using it? And can we really use it in a way that is you know, meaningful? Have you had any experience where you can say, we collected this data, whether it was about how employees want to be supported in their journey with you or how customers want to be supported or how vendors want to interact with you. Have you been able to collect data and then apply it in a way that was either innovative or just significant as far as its impact on the organization? Uh, I'll give you two examples, one internal, one external. So most organizations do some type of feedback survey with employees on an annual basis of sentiment where people are excited about their job as well as where are their areas for opportunity. And that's great. If everything was coming up roses, I'd be concerned. In in terms of getting that feedback, we received some information, I would say three years ago, and my leadership team inside Canada, uh, very specifically, took a look at the, the marketing organization, and there was a lot of opportunity to up the game. Part of it was focused on training and education. We invest in a lot of different things as an organization, but we pulled together more of a capability map where 
I thought, as well as the leadership team thought, emerging capabilities were coming up. Data analytics was one of them, which was typically not in a marketer's arsenal prior. But looking at that, that was just phase one. We needed a longer term phase, not just one and done. So there is a capability map, then looking at different types of training to map directly to that capability map and a full spectrum from novice to accelerated capability. Ultimately, we created a career guide. And that was more in terms of understanding how you can navigate your career, especially in marketing that's changed dramatically over the last decade, especially with the uh, advent of digital, social, mobile, and cloud. You start to try to understand what is driving some of these generational segments from a motivation perspective. When you are more aligned there, then you can actually service clients more effectively inside the organization as well as out. So I consider that more of a strategic approach to using data and actually designing the program with the employees. You get that buy-in from a change management perspective. The other is on uh, campaigns, whether it's looking at thought leadership. That's not necessarily uncommon in professional services. It's looking at the data of where is it sticky? Where is it resonating with specific segments and buyers? And kind of understanding that was critically important. So we were able to, over a period of a year, kind of understand not just the volume, the velocity, and variability of the information and where people were picking up, but it's really looking at the small anomalies of what we didn't know before and how people like to consume it today. It's really about owning the conversation. So if you start to talk about cybersecurity, it's not just about cyber. There are elements of risk that some of our competitors talk about in the market. There are elements of biometrics and other technologies to help drive some of the protection. There's aspects on breaches and monitoring, as well as you know business process improvement. So what do you want to own? Are you going to talk about the same thing in the marketplace? Well, there's things that we need to drive to have skin in the game, but we decided to take a very focused strategy at what we wanted to define and what conversations that we wanted to have with potential customers. And you know, that really started to shape a lot of what we do from a marketing perspective is to get very focused and go deep rather than a wide array and going very shallow. And I know that seems uh, fairly pragmatic, but understanding the different assets and tools that can be used within the process to help create and extend that conversation. Very interesting, both aspects, right? So you look at the data and you see the big trends and you either confirm what you're doing and, you know, do more of that, right? And then, of course, finding those niches, right? So that those other trends where there could be this unique opportunity or an ability to look at a niche and do something different and really take advantage of you see that niche as an area where possibly KPMG would be uniquely qualified to go in and serve that niche. I'd see that as a really interesting perspective, right? It's, it's that idea of, hey, let's look at the data and find the big things. And then, of course, let's go back and really determine in these patterns and other areas where there's an opportunity. First off, is that the correct understanding of that? Yeah, it, it is. I think it, it almost gets into the design-based thinking, right? So where you come up with, here are some inputs, Right. And this is not just for our organization. And I, again, I really want to be clear. A lot of these principles and, and practices are really more from a uh, our industry agnostic is the best way to characterize it. So when you look at kind of the design based thinking, there is a myriad of different concepts that come up from the, these inputs. You need to kind of step back and be objective 
right? Because we're always looking to solve problems, solve problems, solve problems due to the speed of the culture, the speed of the market, the speed of change, the speed of technology. Absolutely. Right? You have to step back and from from one perspective, you have to look at all the data. The way I try to simplify it for some of the younger professionals is that there's always a, a hall closet that is filled with everything, everything. So this is about taking everything out of the closet and starting to arrange it in patterns and start to see what what is the kind of expected, right? So it's the confirmation similar to your statement, as well as, hmm, that's interesting. And that may be an anomaly. As you start to see small little trends or patterns, what does that mean or what could that mean? And then it becomes more of an exercise in creativity. We're typically not conditioned to think in those terms within kind of a business environment other than creative services and other industries that really kind of fuel creativity. But creativity is really starting to drive a lot of the way in which we start to solve problems, create a visual narrative, so the storytelling, and really help shape change. Because if you look at the speed of change in technology, the management of change within the organization is going to have to increase at a, at a rapid rate. So in order to do that, you need to simplify, you need to use visual, video, different types of things to tell that story. And that's where you're going to be able to anchor a lot of that. So I'm not saying that data is this small little snowball that turns into a avalanche. It's more you're trying to look at what makes sense. And what I want to infuse in everyone is that use the power of creativity and don't be afraid to use it. But then you're going to have to quickly rationalize after you get to all those different types of ideas or they are the possible to get down to something that's commercially viable. It's very interesting thinking of the trends that have occurred, especially in the the professional marketing space. Just as a side, I was a statistics and marketing major. And the idea was that marketing and statistics married together would provide that support that we needed to be able to focus in a particular direction. But I love this statement you just made because then it's, okay, now let's place creativity on top of that. So we've got this data and we've got trending that we're getting in the stats. And we're really looking at what is happening out there. And of course, the technology is helping. But then let's take real healthy creativity, combine that with the great data and come up with what can we do to help solve problems and create opportunities. Those two things. The next question really has to do with owning the conversation. And my assumption is once you have the data and once you've applied creativity to it, you really have something to say to own that conversation. No, it's, it's definitely an accelerator to breaking through conventional legacy perceptions to meet future expectations. And that's something that anyone who knows me has heard probably a million times, but it's more in terms of marrying the two ends of the spectrum, statistics and marketing together, you know, with creativity. And I think that's something that will be used uh, literally over the next decade as we start to see what I call a renaissance uh, going on within digital. If I'm a 28-year-old marketing communications person out in the professional services community and you know I studied marketing, possibly had some creative experience, what am I looking at when I read a post or read an article about owning the conversation? You know, What does that look like to me and how can I influence my firm to take that approach and really go out and own the conversation? What does that look like? It's definitely interesting. And again, just want to be clear, it's not just for 
for professional services. It's a little bit easier, I know this sounds shocking, within professional services because it becomes a very strategic conversation because of the size of the competitors out there in the marketplace versus the consumer products where you have thousands of competitors, right? And now it's global. Part of owning the conversation is, is if you go back to the cyber example that I use, people talk about cyber and say, okay, well, we need to get into the, the cyber marketplace. We have a lot of wonderful professionals who are phenomenal in this area. Okay, well, what are we going to talk about? You usually get a long pause and then you start to get all these different types of ideas, which is fantastic, right? And that's why I said with the creativity, that's really important because you don't want to shut that down. But you slowly have to say, okay, if we go with this, let's look at what the market is talking about. So owning the conversation, it's, it's really about shaping the conversation to complement your value proposition, right? Because that's classic marketing. And the only way to do that is looking at key differentiators. And a key differentiator, by definition, is something that you can own. That is not necessarily a parity, which often is gets confusing with some people. Getting back to the point, it's when you talk about shaping that conversation or owning it, Owning it is when you have almost a level of synchronicity between the value proposition, the differentiators, and kind of the messaging, kind of creating it and then extending it. So conversations are two-way, right? So you're getting that feedback either through data or through um, direct, you know, direct engagement. This gets into not just putting something out there with a tagline, we're great in cyber, Okay, well, what is it that we're going to talk about around cyber? So if it is around, let's say, reputational risk, well, what is the conversation around reputational risk? What are the halo conversations around that? The only way to dominate owning the conversation is looking at what are the elements, the sub-elements of that, similar to the hallway closet analogy I used. It's being able to make it relevant for the people that are potentially buying services in cyber, as well as perceived value in the context of just messaging. I mean, nothing's been delivered. So you have to be able to do that, but then it goes into a concept, you know, I've used for some time now called 3330. Basically, what can I communicate in 30 seconds, three minutes, and 30 minutes? Because you have three different generations, three to four different generations who consume content and information very differently. You need to have consistency across what you do. So it really comes into a focus game using that approach can really help narrow and really solidify the conversation drive that you have. And I would even say now three seconds due to Twitter and other things that are out there with uh, visual references like Instagram. So you can actually add on another one, but it's, it's really kind of narrowing it down. And to own that conversation, you really need to have a balance between strategic focus on what you want to put in the market, as well as uh, flexibility and being able to respond. So being objective on, hey, what is what is actually being taken up? You know, where, do we, where, where do we see success versus some of the challenges and our message getting out there and being able to you know shift quickly to meet kind of the evolving uh, expectations of, of customers. And that's something is critical and truly understanding because as technology increases in speed and different uses, as well as as digital starts to permeate a lot of organizations, 
the understanding of the customer's expectations are hypercritical in order to achieve any type of success, be it products, be it services, be it information. What I'm really hearing, though, is the speed in which this is going to happen or how it's happening and how we can respond. It's a critical factor, right? So even in, so let's go back to consumer goods, right? So I have a consumer good. It is an item, right? Or a service and it's defined. And then I go out to market and I'm presenting it, talking about it in a 30 second, three minute, 30 minute scenario. Very different than this environment that is professional services, the opposite end of that, right? Where I might have a very, don't really know what the client, what the client's needs are until I'm in that conversation. And to be able to pivot that quickly can be very challenging. It can. A lot of the professionals within, within KPMG thrive in that type of uh, environment. And it's really what's exciting to a lot, a lot of professional services professionals is really the discovery process. When you look at conversations, there are a lot of different conversations that could be had in, let's just say, general services. You know, one type of conversation is exploratory, kind of understanding like what's the potential out there. The other is discovery that's more inward focused on, on that organization or whoever that customer is. The third is much more about, okay, well, tell me a little bit about what you actually do in this space in this industry, in this dealing with this business issue, if it's cyber. And then the other gets into, okay, well, what if you face any type of barriers? How do you shape that conversation, right? So you have to think about how all of this can be applied. Same thing applies for the consumer good, the item, the SKU. One interesting thing that I had done way back in my early career is use storyboarding techniques to tell the story of a SKU and how it went through the entire supply chain process um, to get to the uh, end user. And at that point, they could see the entire value chain and really start to understand where the organization was having uh, significant challenges. That was when I was at Accenture. And, you know, that really stimulated multiple conversations with different groups. And that's what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to simplify things to the degree in which people understand the impact or potential impact of an issue of a business challenge or opportunity and look at potential scenarios or what I call possible futures. And that's where all of this starts to come into play because conversations drive the speed in which we operate macroeconomic, microeconomic environments. So what I love about this approach is it puts to bed that idea that going to a meeting, listening, having the conversation does not require that you bring someone from every discipline. You're going into that discussion and you're having the discussion and you're flexing, you're diving in, you're you're asking questions in particular areas, but you're not shutting down the conversation if it enters into an area in which you're not an expert. Uh, having worked for a benefits administration consulting firm that did a lot of consulting, people felt uncomfortable talking in the areas in which they were not a specialist. And I have to say in the law firms that I work with, a client starts talking about something that's outside their practice area, the practice area, the people in the room, there tends to be this reaction. This concept says that's going to happen all the time. Let's have the conversation and be comfortable as business people. We can listen, comment, and, and ask additional questions that really dive further. And of course, hopefully we're prepared enough that we know where that conversation's likely to go. That's definitely 
true. And even in terms of, let's just say, architectural or engineering services, you're going to have a conversation. Okay, well, it's going to get into certain areas where there isn't any type of expertise. So it, it would really be not in the best interest of time to even go down that path. So it's really starting to shape things out, but it's understanding your customer, kind of being able to go in there and have those conversations or even online with services companies, products companies, uh, so on and so forth. This omni-channel type of approach that we've been exposed to over the last several years, that's where you need to have consistency in your message because that directly aligns to your brand, (laughs) as well as engaging in those conversations. It's a typical funnel that everyone knows about in marketing and sales where there's broad awareness of one to many. Then as you get down, you down to kind of a select group where there's education. They want to go a little bit more. And then that gets into the one-to-one. People are kind of picking the phone up or sending an email or trying to engage personally to really have that that type of conversation to convert into revenue or service or what have you. You know, there are certain things that haven't changed within marketing over the last 10 years, but there's a whole swack of things on how we execute, drive, market, position, and market permission. The only way to do that is through owning and shaping the conversation. That last point in the entire discussion really has led me to two questions. You mentioned earlier, you have that employee that is in marketing and now needs to have this broader set of skills. What would be the optimal set of skills? That's that's one question. And then the second, if I'm the consultant and I'm someone who is hired because of an expertise in a particular area, what additional thing could I learn? or embrace that would help me in this newer or really advanced way of approaching a customer? You know, part of what, you know, we talk about a lot at the organization is being a student of the market, a student of the industry, student of the of the organization, as well as, you know, our potential customers. All that really means is have a learning mindset. And it goes back to education is that you have to be uncomfortable with not knowing everything up front. And for marketers, that that's very difficult because they want to be able to get to the answer be, uh, as quickly as possible. You know, I, I have outlined nine capabilities, but I'll, I'll give you three that are relatively new. So one is digital fluency, right? When people talk about digital, well, what is your digital group doing? Or are you digital yet? I'm not sure what that really means because maybe five years ago with a digital group of having something that was a, a you know bespoke group that worked on very specific things that dealt with the front end of the organization. Digital now really encompasses everyone within marketing. Elevating the digital fluency of the marketing organization, I would say the collective organization as well, is, is critically important. So that's a capability that everyone needs to embrace. Uh, and there's different ways to do that. The other uh, is that the data analytics, um, typically data and financial analytics for, for marketers really wasn't, you know, at the top of the list in, in most curriculums within, within the schools, you know, within universities. And that's why I think it's a gorgeous marriage between, you know, marketing and statistics now uh, with creativity. That's something that is very challenging, but it is a discipline that's been out there for decades And it's really just kind of transferring that and how it applies to specific roles and activities within within marketing. And and I would say the last uh, is a combination of creativity and technology. Looking at marketing technology, and you know, we tend to use that for a lot of different things, and we've all seen the the heat map uh, that keeps on growing. 
but understanding how technology can help support the conversation, meeting the expectations of your customer is critically important. So you don't have to necessarily be an expert or have an accelerated view on technology. You just have to understand how technology can play directly into meeting the changing expectations of the customer. But the, the creativity, I would say, really fuels all three, if I was to truly articulate that. That is very difficult to develop. Everyone is creative, regardless of you know if they think they are or not. But to start to develop it really requires people to get out of their comfort zones. That can be attained through different types of courses, as well as different types of brainstorming sessions, learning how to, uh, or, or design-based thinking is something that's in, in a very contemporary way now used frequently, uh, although that's been around for almost 15 years. So, you know, all these different elements of new capabilities is challenging <laughs> a lot of existing organizations. And as data becomes more pervasive in marketing, a lot of chief marketing officers that I've talked to, as well as senior professionals within marketing, find it very difficult recruiting the right talent, nurturing the right talent, and really kind of cultivating all of these capabilities. I mentioned three. I believe there are nine critical. I don't think anyone would be surprised by the others, but again, that's kind of a trade secret. So, But it's, it's really kind of understanding how do you start to cultivate that over a period of time. Employees today or people today in, in business need to invest in their own education. And I'm not sure if it was Mark Twain who said it, said don't let school get involved you know, in the way of your education. You have to take it upon yourself to learn you know, consistently every day. If you don't have to do it during the workday, then do it at night, do it on the weekends, what have you. But it's something that I talk about to all of my folks consistently about constantly learning. There's something that was read recently and talks about the fact that brains do better when we're learning new things and it just affects our health and every other aspect of it. So beyond the benefit of learning something new, it's just the activity of learning something new. To me, a lot of this is so fascinating. You know, what is happening out there in this space and and how we're going to benefit from it in ways we don't even know at this point. It's a true renaissance. Yeah. I mean, it's a true renaissance. And just one, one, one more thing before we move on on education, the the biggest challenge today, people think that they're learning through search and through Google. It's it's not really Google. It's more kind of, it's, it's, it's like goggle, wearing goggles. Here's some quick information, but there's no context. There's no synthesis of the information to really try to understand what it's telling us or what you're trying to create from a hypothesis perspective. So a lot of people are looking for things very quickly. They've been conditioned through traditional search. We're not getting the contextual relevance of the information. And that's the biggest challenge with big data now. We're not able to synthesize it. And there's so much information. It's almost like a tsunami of content. You're trying to wade through all this information to find something that's relevant to the business problem that you're trying to solve, an idea that you have. Uh, so on and so forth. So typically what I've seen, not just with my organization, but you know, in, in speaking with other people, you get a very fragmented approach and perspective to problem solving. So it's interesting. I think that goes back to the whole point about it's really important to have the data, be able to analyze the data, and then apply that creativity on top of it. Because other than that, it's just a lot of data. It's a lot of information. There's three things, and it's not because I'm going off a specific methodology all the time with the rule of threes, but one is the design-based thinking. 
And it's really kind of understanding that there's a lot of books out there today. Tom Kelly actually put one out who was from IDEO. Phenomenal book. It could be applied to you know any type of uh, business or even personal situation. The other is a concept of starting to start. What I've seen is that typically people get held up to be perfect. They want the perfect solution and they'll, they'll wait to start doing things. They'll plan to plan. They'll, what I'm saying is just start doing something. It's starting to learn. That's what I would say. It's being open and learning about your industry, learning about what is changing. People are kind of looking out 20 years. Some of the hardline folks that are saying, hey, nothing will be changing because of these things and come to your own conclusions. Having that learning mindset will definitely advance you in anything that you do. The last thing is is creativity. You have to learn how to activate that side of your brain that was once activated when you were younger because creativity is about playing with different types of concepts. There are people that professionally play for a living and it's, it's fantastic, but everyone needs to get commercially viable at some point. Just starting at the most difficult and getting out of the comfort zone, it's really kind of getting out of your own way and starting to do things either by yourself or within a group, just start to initiate it. And that kind of gets back into the start to start. Those are really the three things to really go up against some of the frenetic nature of the market, disruptive technologies that are impacting in a really good way, the next renaissance for for business. Great points. Everyone can embrace those and apply them to their to the their work. Brian, it's been a fantastic interview. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye? Uh, one, thank you for the opportunity. All of these perspectives are my own. I talk about them a lot online. I would just say get out there, get creative, get out of your own head and create some breakthrough solutions that you know address the legacy perception in your industries, as well as meet the future expectations of the, the customers that are always evolving. Brian, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Oh, 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 oh,